The Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit is made possible in part by Mad Dog Professional Services. Mad Dog Professional Services focuses on putting their clients on the leading edge of technology faster than thought possible to capture new revenue streams. That's Mad Dog Professional Services. Hey, greetings, everybody. Welcome to the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. Happy Wednesday. Glad to have you with me today. Coming up on today's program, we're going to talk a little bit about teacher salaries, where they actually are in Michigan, and what it says about our commitment to education here in the state. The numbers are kind of alarming. Chalkbeat.org put out a story today showing just what's happened to real salaries for teachers in this state and what it's doing to the profession. So we'll talk a bit about that. I'll have some of my thoughts as well. And also, we are going to talk about recycling today. We dutifully take out our cans every week. We put the right stuff in the right bin, we take it out, but what's actually happening to it right now? And is the market changing so dramatically that some of the stuff that you're sending to the recycling place might actually be going to the landfill? My friend Lester Graham from Michigan Radio is going to join us to talk about what he found out about what's happening. So stay for that. On the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit, hang around for a bit. Should be fun. This is the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. Thank you very much for being with me on this Tuesday. And for me, for me, it is garbage night, which means that I dutifully roll my carts out to the street. One with bagged garbage, the other with, of course, my recyclables. But what is actually happening to that stuff in that green bin that I have in my community? Yours may be blue, it could be green, red, who knows? But we just assume that we're doing our duty and everything's getting recycled and we're reducing, reusing, and we're being better for the planet. But the market has changed dramatically, and I I learned a little bit more about this as I was listening to Michigan Radio and my friend Lester Graham with the Environment Report. He's a reporter at Michigan Radio in Ann Arbor, and he's uh, one of the best environmental reporters I know. I've known him for about 20 years now. Lester, welcome to the program. It's a pleasure to have you here. Hi, Craig. Thanks. Well, and I think I'm, I think I summed it up what a lot of people are dealing with. We take the stuff out to the curb, you know, separating our papers and plastics and just assuming that the right thing is happening. But what is actually happening to this stuff these days? Well, it all depends on your city because uh, a lot of different cities have a lot of different plans. Uh, some have, for instance, uh, in Oakland County, there are a couple of different uh, MRFs, that's municipal, that's materials recycling facilities uh, that are put together by some of the municipalities. Others do it strictly through private entities who pick up the recycled goods and it goes on the market. But the problem is the market's gone down, the price has gone down. So now instead of some of these cities actually making a little money off of the recycling, it's costing them, and in some cases, costing them a lot more. Well, and and what happened to the market? I mean, because something I learned from, again, listening to your stories over the past several months about this, is that basically China was the the big recipient of a lot of this uh, recyclable material. They were utilizing it. That has dried up. What happened? Yeah, they were the major factor. There are others, of course, as well. But basically, China said, look, um, our economy is slowing down. Uh, we don't have a need for as much uh, recycled paper and recycled plastic as we're getting here. So we're we're shutting that down. And besides, in the United States, most of this stuff is contaminated to the extent that we can't reprocess it. So it ends up in our landfills. And that was not the plan. Well, what types of contamination are we talking about here? Is is this if I leave a crust in the pizza box and toss it in there, I'm creating a problem? That's a real good example right there. If you've got, to, even if it's just stained with grease from your uh, from your really delicious pizza, it's still uh, contaminated and can contaminate the whole load. If you, especially if it's shredded along with other paper or cardboard goods, 
So uh, there are lots of different ways that it can be contaminated. If you have, you know, bottles of different types, you've got the PET number on them uh, mixed up together that can mess everything up. Uh, and there's all kinds of deals that can, can screw up a whole load. And uh, that makes it almost worthless for those who are trying to recycle it. So, you know, not to suggest that recycling is a boondoggle because reusing these materials is is you know, something that's going to be critical going forward, especially as we combat things like climate change uh, and, and frankly, uh, finite resources when it comes to things like plastics and, and paper. So w- what do we do in this type of a situation? Because residents, again, are we have trained them to recycle. We are getting much better at it than we were just 10 years ago. But now if there's no market, the stuff's going to the landfill anyway. What's a viable option here? Do we have one? Well, it depends on the city you're in again, because different cities are taking different approaches. So let's let's talk about uh, certain things like glass. Uh, many municipalities uh, stopped taking glass some time ago because it was so costly. Because there's no demand for glass anymore. You know, we're shipping everything in plastic that's lighter, uh, it's cheaper, and so the glass market has just tanked. Uh, your facility may be taking it, uh, your municipality might still be taking it, but they're probably paying to get it recycled or to market. Other things like uh, the plastics we talked about, the cardboard we talked about, you know, there are a lot of different things that are happening, but in every case, the market price has dropped substantially for all of those recyclable materials. And therefore, the municipalities, unless they have a long-term contract, and we can talk about that a little bit, how that works. Um, they're locked in. You know, they got a certain floor. They got a certain ceiling. So they know the prices are they're going to get somewhere between this and then. Uh, but for everybody else, it's it's just they're totally at the mercy of the market. Well, it, it sounds as if the, the smart municipalities were sort of hedging uh, against uh, futures on recyclables and saying, hey, let's lock in this price here. So regardless of what happens to the market, uh, we'll still have a reason to take this stuff the way that it is. Uh, but what percentage of the communities made the wise choice on this? It, it, well, a number of them, but not all of them. It depends geographically where you are. Do you have that uh, capability to make a deal with a large hauler who can do that and is willing to do that? Uh, if you don't, if you're just at the mercy of a, you know, some small outfit that is not wanting to get locked into a price, uh, that could be bad too. It's also bad for some of these haulers, right? Because if they're locked into a long-term contract and they have to pay at least the floor rate on that contract, and it's less, uh, it, it gets them uh, uh, less money than they uh, because of the market. They're 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 hurting right now. They're they're really being affected as well. So it's the haulers, it's the brokers, it's the um, uh, the municipalities, it, everybody's, nobody's coming out a winner in this situation. Well, that's exactly the problem here. Nobody's coming out a winner in this situation. And, and again, uh, you know, not recycling these products, sending them to landfills is not a long-term answer. That's a, the sustainable answer. You know, you had an opportunity to talk to, uh, Westlands mayor about this and, and talk a little bit about what's happening in that community. They were looking to send some of this stuff to the incinerator, which of course shut down, uh, rather abruptly just a, a few days ago. Uh, what are they going to do now? Well, right now they're sending the recyclables to the landfill. They're trying to be as transparent as they can about that. They've told their citizens to send out notes. They're getting a lot of angry calls because of it. Uh, But at the same time, the recycling rate is staying about the same. The people are participating in it, and they had a high participation rate to begin with. Uh, And they're basically saying, we understand that you guys are sending this to the landfill. We don't like it, or we're going to keep doing this because we don't want to get out of the habit 
and we want a solution soon. So that's what Westland is doing uh, for some of these other places that have, you know, MRFs, these uh, material recycling or material handling uh, recycling facilities. They're basically saying, okay, you know, we used to be able to give credits to our municipalities. We used to give them a little money back. They made something on this. Now we're going to have to start thinking about charging them a little bit. So, so when you look at this long term, you know, again, you you mentioned that a lot of communities are at the mercy of the market here. The market just does not support recycling at this point in time. What what is going to need to change? What do we need to see change market wise for this to pick back up? Because again, if there's no demand for glass, uh, it's too easily to contaminate things like cardboard and paper. It seems that this is going to be sort of a sticky wicket here. Yeah, we've got a, we've got basically there's going to be a, a, an education effort throughout the nation on this. Number one. We're going to have to learn to recycle all over again. You know, if we're going to put tin cans in there, they've got to be rinsed and they've got to be ready. If we're going to put plastics in there, we're going to make sure they're the right plastic and the right thing. I think single stream recycling might go away. We might have to be separating out all of these things. Uh, you know, while there's been much uh, made out of uh, the glass situation, that's that's partly because we shut down most of our glass factories in this the United States. There aren't that many glass manufacturers. So that's a problem because there's no real great domestic market any longer. Uh, I'm not sure what we're going to do in a situation like that, but we're going to learn to clean up these uh, things, reduce the contamination to a tolerable point uh, and start finding ways to use it in our nation uh, because we're not going to be able to depend on these foreign markets, uh, especially with their economies uh, slowing down. Well, Lester, I mean, you know, when you talk about any sort of massive public education campaign, I'm, I mean, look at the at the fight we're having over vaccinations right now. Well, look, uh, look, I mean, this is it took us a long time to learn how to recycle. Yeah, but think about it, Craig. When you and I were kids, nobody even talked about that. You might take bottles back to the store, but that was the limit of it. Nobody was recycling anything at that time. And yet in just, you know, a few decades, we've got everybody. That's the expectation. If you move to a town and they didn't have recycling, you'd be wondering, what is going on here? You know, so it, it, it takes a while. You're right. It takes time. But people can learn how to do this. People are willing to learn how to do this because they really want to do the right thing. They want to contribute. This is the, this is the easiest thing they can do, uh, besides their car purchase, to really feel like they're doing something for the planet. Well, sometimes the right thing, though, bumps up against, you know, uh, capitalism, which is what we're seeing here in in this current situation. There is no market for a lot of these materials at this point in time. Um, Doing the right thing might not be the economically viable thing for these communities. Uh, Something's going to have to give. And and is it one of those things where communities may just say, look, we're going to take a loss on this, but it's the right thing to do? Well, I was talking to Karen O'Brien. She's the executive director of the Michigan Recycling Coalition, and she basically says, I think people will be willing to pay a little bit for the privilege of curbside recycling. People want recycling. They'll will, they'll be willing to put up a few dollars for that each month or each quarter. Uh, I think a lot of times I just heard from somebody who's paying like $30 a quarter for their recycling program in their city because otherwise they wouldn't have one. So people are willing to pay a little bit to make sure that this happens just simply because they're in favor of making sure that we use our resources wisely and reuse our resources wisely. Well, I, you know, I can see the opposition campaign starting already. They're going to call it the garbage tax or something like that. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure, to I'm galvanize sure. public opinion against it. 
you know the other the other option, and this is another one that uh, that O'Brien stressed is we have to send the people who are packaging these goods in this way a message by saying, look, we don't approve. You've got to find a way to use biodegradable uh, packaging or find a way to reduce the amount of packaging. I mean, when you go in and you buy a, let's say an SD card, right? It's a Mm -hmm. tiny little postage stamp size thing. And it's put in this like a six by eight cardboard plastic thing that that is really hard to get into. Now that's theft prevention. We understand that, but surely they can come up with a way that doesn't require a lot of wasted plastic and cardboard for one tiny little chip. There are a dozen things you could see, uh, dozens of things that you could see at your grocery store where you could think, man, is that a good way to package that? Do we really need to package in that way? Can't we come up with something better? And I think that as people demand something better, the market will meet that demand. Well, I, I don't mean to be cynical about this uh, because people can demand those sorts of things. It usually takes a little time for uh, for the machines of, of business to, to comply with, with people's notions as to what they want to see here. You can get any evidence that people are moving in that direction at this point in time that we're starting to see smarter packaging. Do you remember uh, when the McDonald's and a lot of the other fast food restaurants overnight changed the kind of packaging they were using for their, their food? Sure. Yeah, it can happen overnight. I mean, or nearly overnight. Now, the problem is that those single serve packages, they're really convenient. I mean, I I can go out, I can get this little package. It's got little carrots and broccoli and a little sauce in there. And and, I've got got it. It's all right there for me. I don't have to worry about anything and just grab it. And and I throw it in my lunchbox or whatever I'm going to do with it. Lots of things like that that are, are are just really, really convenient. And that uh, is hard to argue with. But uh, at the same time, we've got this problem. We're using resources. All the plastics we're using are petroleum-based. So we've got to, you know, we've got to keep that in mind as well. Uh, it's better to, it's better to recycle that stuff than continue to drill. Uh, much of the other stuff that we're using, like this plastic wrap and shrink wrap, none of that can be recycled. So we shouldn't be using that as much as we do. I mean, you know, for gosh sakes, we're, we're, we're wrapping up all kinds of packaging and stuff that can't be reused. It's just, it's destined for the landfill no matter what. So, well, Lester, one last question for you on this. And it seems to me that the one place that we could make a difference pretty quickly when it comes to at least recycling these materials and making sure that we have clean, clear materials that can be recycled, water bottles, plastic water bottles. Uh, yeah, you know, there's talk, there's talk in the legislature right now, again, about um, you know having a deposit on those, just like we do all the other, bever- the, you know, the carbonated beverages that we drink. Um, why that distinction between carbonated and still uh, beverages was made, I think basically because there wasn't a lot of still beverages in containers. It was just basically beer and soda, right? Beer and pop. Um, sure. Now, you know, plastic water bottles are, are all over the place and probably the larger uh, problem compared to pop and beer. So it's, uh, you know, it's that's, you know, I don't know if I don't know if a deposit is the right thing. Uh, it certainly has worked pretty well for the rest of the uh, material. You don't see a lot of beer, gan- beer cans in the uh, in the uh, ditches anymore. But um, uh, beyond that, I, I, I don't know. If somebody's got a better answer, uh, I'd love to hear about it. 
Well, I would like to hear about it as well. We'll see what happens in Lansing on that question. Lester, I, I appreciate it. I think we learned a little bit today about what's going on, and everybody who is out there should be checking with their municipality about what is happening to their recycling at this point in time. As, as Lester suggested, you know, demanding action might be the only way that we can ensure that this stuff doesn't end up getting burned or sent to a landfill somewhere. Lester Graham, we appreciate your time, sir. Thank you very much. Greg, it's always good to talk to you. The Craig Folly Show is made possible in part by Deadline Detroit, one-stop shopping for all your news. Also, home to Deadline Detroit TV, which includes The Zip, a weekly wrap-up of the week's news with some humor. Deadline Detroit, one-stop shopping for all your news. And this is the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. Thanks very much for being with me on this Tuesday. Glad to have you with me. And, um, you know, as somebody who's had a lot of teachers in their family, uh, I have a certain attachment to this profession. I think it's incredibly valuable. I've had some wonderful teachers throughout the course of my life that have shaped who I am, who I became, did a very, very good job of making sure that I learned a lot of stuff doesn't make me that brilliant or anything like that, but it did give me curiosity. It did give me a love of learning. Whether or not that always translated to good grades academically, no, not necessarily, but it did lead to a curiosity and, um, and again, a love of knowledge and learning new things every day, which is part of the reason I'm a journalist, became a journalist, a reporter. I like learning stuff. Teachers implanted that idea in my brain. Now, teaching has never been a profession that was going to make anybody rich. We knew that. Teachers, in exchange for getting uh, some breaks, which are much needed, I'll talk a little bit about that in just a couple of minutes, but they also got good benefits packages and a lot of job security to go along with a very, very demanding job that doesn't pay that well. Now, some teachers, if you've been in the system long enough, you've got a lot of experience, you can actually make a decent living doing it. However, not many people are getting that far, and there's a reason for it. This profession is burning people out, The benefits packages are shrinking, the protections are shrinking, salaries are indeed shrinking for teachers. So lest anybody sit there and say, well, I wish I could make 62 grand a year being a teacher. Well, guess what? It's a lot harder than you realize. It takes a lot of schooling. It takes an advanced degree if you want to stay in the profession, and you need to keep working towards more postgraduate credits just to keep your certification to stay in the classroom. It is not an easy job. It is an incredibly difficult job. And one of the things that I always like to remind people who think that it would be easy to be a teacher or somehow think um, that you know working with kids is different than working a job site or working in an office with adults, it is not. If you've had children, their friends come over to play. After about an hour, you're like, what time is that kid going home? Because everybody loves their own kids. Everybody likes other people's kids. Some of them. Not all of them. Imagine having 28 30, 35, and in some cases 40 or more of other people's kids for six to seven hours every single day. Now, granted, you form a relationship with these kids, but some are going to respond positively, some are not. Every kid is different. But just imagine the stress levels of kids screaming, acting out, goofing off, horsing around, not paying attention, not doing their homework. Imagine dealing with that every single day. One, that's why they deserve spring break and summer break. I I don't care what anybody says. You need to get away from that for mental health reasons. It's just something that's important to do. And again, that time is usually spent teaching summer school or taking classes to keep that certification so you can stay in the classroom. 
it's what happens for teachers. That's what they do. And most people do it because they actually really love it. And for a long time, this was a profession that a lot of people aspired to. People wanted to. They grew up wanting to be a teacher, just like they wanted to grow up being a fireman or a police officer or a sports athlete. People grew up having dreams about being a teacher. Every kid could relate to the teacher. And so, so many of them gravitated towards the profession because they enjoyed their time in school. But now you've got a situation where the profession has been altered so much that parents are actually telling their kids not to major in education, not to go down the path of becoming a teacher. And that's a damn shame because it is a noble profession and it's got such a profound, profound impact on our kids. Veteran teachers that are there to help the new ones become veterans is really, really important. But when you have people leaving this profession in droves after five, six years and going into different career fields because one, they weren't making enough money, two, the stress was just not there, three, maybe they can't afford their student debt because of the salary that they're getting paid, we have a problem. We are going to have more inexperienced teachers in the classrooms, which is not going to lead to good results. And we have seen what has happened to Michigan's test results. We're going in the wrong direction. And a big part of that is the fact that Michigan ranks near the bottom when it comes to investment in students. Real investment. We're a big state, but we're in the 30s when it comes to how much we actually invest per pupil in, in classrooms. Now, one of the things that has happened is a reduction in teacher salaries as a result of a lot of the budget cuts that have taken place. Proposal A back in 1994 made some huge, huge changes to the way we fund schools. Local communities were no longer able to pass their own millages in addition to raise additional money they needed to keep teachers, to keep salaries where they need to be, to stop people from leaving, to fix their facilities, whatever. They've been very, very limited as to what they can do as a result of that tax change. Now, it did bring some sense of normalcy to property taxes, which were out of whack. But it has had long-term consequences for school districts, even so-called well-to-do school districts. You look at a district like Gross Point, which is right now debating whether or not to close a bunch of schools. They're going to. They just haven't figured out which ones yet because enrollment is down. It's also led to districts competing with each other for students. So they're poaching students from other districts to fill up their classrooms so they can get the per-pupil foundation grant, which allows them to maintain the status quo. Other districts that have seen declining enrollment have led to teachers seeing salary cuts. Several districts gave teachers salary cuts and they have not been replaced. Or hiring teachers into the district without giving them credit for the amount of years that they have been in the profession. So you leave one district to go to another, but you don't get any credit for the years that you've accumulated. So salaries go down in that type of a situation. And I've seen people take that. I've seen that happen to them. So just some numbers here real quick. The average Michigan teacher made $61,908 last year, according to Chalkbeat. Now, that's $700 less than in 2011, so almost 10 years ago, eight years ago. That's $700 less in real dollars. Now, if you take inflation into account, that's $6,200 less per year than teachers used to make in the state. And we wonder why people aren't entering teaching. We wonder why we're losing veteran teachers. We wonder why our educational performance is going down. Now, I'm not saying this is the only reason. But this is ridiculous. New researchers have found out that teacher turnover really does have an impact on student learning. One in five new teachers quit the profession within five years because they can't make a go of it. $61,000. Michigan's average is a little bit more than the state, than the national average of $58,000. But it used to be a lot more significant. 
Now, Governor Whitmer is looking to send about $500 million more to schools this year as part of her budget proposal. We'll see where that goes in the legislature. And if that money goes into the school aid fund, how much of it will be used to fund teacher programs and teacher salaries? We don't know. We haven't seen exactly what that's going to be. Keep in mind, though, if we keep going down this road, we're not going to have any teachers left. We're going to see a situation like we're seeing in a lot of professions where once this generation retires, there's just not enough people in the pipeline to replace them. People aren't going to stop having kids. They're not going to stop sending their kids to school. Are we going to have 40, 50 kids in a classroom? Let's make this a profession that we respect again. Show them the appreciation that they deserve for the hard work that they put in every single day, taking care of other people's kids. And before you think this is some sort of glorified babysitting job, let me let you know how much work goes into this. Because maybe you're not measuring it day to day. Maybe you're not seeing it. But if you take a look at where your kid is at the end of the year from where they started at the beginning of the year, what a remarkable difference. I saw it every year with my son. And I was always impressed and I always thanked the people that were responsible for that and that were his teachers. And of course, my parents, you know, my wife and I worked very hard with him as well. But at the same time, his teachers did the bulk of the heavy lifting when it came to that stuff. That's their job and they were good at it. And we were lucky. Don't lose sight of that fact. Don't sit there and think that we're taxed enough already and we can't afford to do anything more than we are. Fact is, Michigan is not taxed higher than other states. We're smack dab in the middle of the pack in that road, in that route too, but we spend less on education than our neighboring states and we spend less on roads than our neighboring states. We just do. The facts are there. We need to do better by our kids. And the way to do that is by doing better by our teachers. Thanks for listening on this Tuesday. We'll be back tomorrow. I'm Craig Folly. Don't forget, don't forget, you can find this podcast anywhere you find podcasts. And, of course, you can find it at Deadline Detroit, which is your one-stop shop for news. Always do appreciate you checking stuff out there. If you didn't get a chance to watch the Monday Follies yesterday, it is there. It is on my YouTube channel as well. You can find me on Facebook, YouTube, uh, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, anywhere. Just look up Craig Folly. You can find it there. And I do appreciate all of the support. Thanks. Shoot me an email as well. Show at gmail.com. If you've got any ideas or thoughts or feedback, whatever, doesn't matter. I take it all into account. Have a fantastic day, everybody. Enjoy the snow tonight, apparently. And we'll talk tomorrow. The Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit is made possible in part by Mad Dog Professional Services. Mad Dog Professional Services focuses on putting their clients on the leading edge of technology faster than thought possible to capture new revenue streams. That's Mad Dog Professional Services.